This episode of Phone Booth Fighting Frank is brought to you by Freshly.com. Delivering food right to your door. Already prepared, always fresh ingredients, never frozen. And uh, a great way to eat healthy and save a lot of time in the process. Uh, We've got Freshly.com coming to our doorsteps now. And uh, I know that for you, uh, with the big family and uh, all the activities and all the things that kids are involved in, time is... uh, at a premium and oh there's also the part about how you're a professional athlete and you have to watch what you eat true uh, just you know almost convenience keeps you from making bad mistakes a lot of times you get behind the uh, eight ball you don't have enough time first thing we all turn to is fast food so the fact that this can be quicker and easier because it's sitting for you in your fridge and only takes two to three minutes to prepare uh, really it's just it's, it's a no-brainer it's all natural ingredients cooked by chefs with the help of nutritionists and i tell you what there's nothing that makes you feel smarter than being in a hurry uh run into the fridge grabbing one of those pre-prepped meals throwing it in your bag and you got lunch with you uh or you got your dinner on the go and like frank said you avoid those fast food drive-throughs and that is so important no artificial preservatives and gluten-free meals folks here's how you can save some money uh, at Freshly.com because you are a phone booth fighting listener. Go to Freshly.com, put in the promo code PHONEBOOTH at checkout, and you're going to get $40 off your first two orders. Free shipping on every single order, by the way, and that's six meals cooked by Freshly Chefs for only $39 with the promo code PHONEBOOTH. And they know you're going to like it, so basically they make you the same offer again. Your uh, second set of six meals, same deal. Promo code PHONEBOOTH, you get all six for only $39. Go to Freshly.com, enter the promo code PHONEBOOTH, and enjoy the greatness of Freshly. Frank, uh, this episode is also brought to you by Low T Nation. LowTNation.com, taking care of many a phone booth fighting listener over there on a weekly basis. And uh, this is for the guy, for the fella who, uh, you know, maybe doesn't have quite as much energy as he used to have when he was a tad younger. Uh, maybe feels a little, uh, a little sluggish, a little uh, slow on the draw. And uh, that's where Low T Nation comes in. And what you do is you go to LowTNation.com, you call the phone number, uh, a couple of phone booth fighting listeners who run things over at Low T Nation will answer your call, and they'll be happy to talk to you. Consultation is free over the phone. They will put you in touch with a lab in your area to see if you are a candidate for the Low T Nation treatment. And uh, let's say you are, and I know a lot of our listeners, as it turns out, uh, they are. Then what happens? Well, at that point, uh, you know, you call up to talk to the doctors or talk to, you know, Jason and, and talk to Brandon. If they find out that, uh, you know, through a preliminary uh, consultation that you may be uh, set up for the next step, they, uh, you know, they could talk to a general practitioner, also guide them through it. That's something they're very good at. And they'll set you up an appointment to get blood drawn. Once that blood is drawn and they evaluate it and uh, everybody's on board, if it's something that's necessary for you to do, then they can get you the right medication to bring you back up to your optimal levels of health. And uh, it's conveniently shipped to your front door once a month. So no more visits, no more uh, uh, effort on your part besides being consistent with your uh, your, your uh, dosages. We hear from phone booth fighting listeners on a weekly basis who are realizing the benefits of Low T Nation and you could be next. What you need to do, go to LowTNation.com, call that phone number free 
consultation over the phone. And uh, from there, everything just arrives at your doorstep. It couldn't be easier. LowTNation.com. Tell them Frank and Richard sent you. All right, Frank, let's get it started. Uh, I tell you what, yeah, I'll just pull back the curtain here. A lot of nights here in the bunker, uh, deep within the bowels of stately Mayor Manor in suburban Las Vegas, from uh, which we emanate, we have a run sheet in front of us. We've made some notes, some things we're going to talk about. And uh, not the case tonight, although we got a lot on the table. A whole lot of things have happened. So many that I thought, well, do I just sketch all do I just jot all these down or do we just uh, uh, kind of take them as they come and I uh, I decided on the latter so first of all uh, we got to figure out where we want to start here I guess let's do this let me find out where you were this weekend I'll tell you where I was this weekend because I had some weird stuff happen oh okay well mine wasn't that weird I had okay long ass travel to Vienna for me okay a lot, these- let me just say a lot of people to say oh yeah it was just a, a average weekend I went to Vienna Austria that's not a lot of people's average weekend true but mine didn't yeah. have too many I didn't get left at any airports or get you know taken in the back room at any passport you weren't control. detained no no detainments this time around okay but uh, I had to fly through San Francisco so tripped up there took an hour and a half two or three hour layover then a 12 hour flight to Istanbul Turkey mm. and if you realize if you look on the map that means I flew Flew past fucking Vienna. <laughs> oh, oh! How did that happen? Was this like a uh, Spirit Airlines kind of deal? Was no, it, oh. I mean, hey, I was on a Turkish Airlines okay. in a business class, so you know, the travel was nice. Mm-hmm. It's just that you know, for the timing to get me there and get me back, that was the the best route to take. And so, uh, you know, I'm, as I'm looking at the thing, I'm like, oh man, I wish somehow they had a direct flight right to you know yeah. make my life easier. But uh, it is what it is. So stayed for about three or four hours in uh, Istanbul, and then took off to Turkey, another two and a half hour flight, landed there, and then uh, you know just hung out, got to go see the sights a little bit. You know, Big John McCarthy and Elaine were there, his wife. Um, Herb Dean, Brian, got to hang out with them. And, you know, at one point we all just jumped on a train and, and went into town in uh, the center of Vienna and had some pastries and, and hung out. And, ah, so, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it wasn't but so, too bad. Okay, so obviously uh, this is ACB work. You're really doing uh, some commentary. Some great fights yeah. uh, that night. And, uh, yeah, ACB always puts on a phenomenal show. I'm happy to be a part of it. How does that work with the referees? Are they, because I, uh, I know John and Herb do a lot of the cards over there, and they're are you know they're the two most well-known referees is that why is it just acb needs to hire some referees and so obviously they're going to go with the best like yeah. i guess there's not really a is there a regulatory body involved there is uh, we actually work with the work? english commission okay uh lee doyle yeah uh, it's and they're man they're a really good commission those guys i'll tell you two different stories and why i respect the shit out of those guys mm-hmm. uh first of all Herb Dean is pretty much the head referee for ACB. He actually now works with them exclusively, so that way he can help organize the other referees that also work. Because you know they use a guy named Lucas uh, sometimes, and then uh, um, no, I'm sorry. When you say he works with them exclusively, obviously well, he's still working with the UFC. Yeah, he does. But He'll go back and forth, but I mean, pretty much. Bellator. If but if it comes down to a conflict, yeah. he goes the ACB. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, you'd be surprised really be how care little the UFC pays these guys. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it'll blow your mind. Yeah. Not to throw their business out there, but when Big John and Herb told me what still to this day, yeah, the UFC pays them per show. Yeah. 
if they had to buy their own ticket, let's put it this way, they would lose money. Oh, wow. Okay, so is this... I mean, it's astronomically yeah. low. Yeah. Like, and, we're talking like it barely breaks into the four digits. Well, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but this some, hold your thought, because this interested me. You just sparked a thought in my head. So the way... I mean, I know that they are governed by, like in the states, the State Athletic Commission. Right. But I always assume that pay was set by the state. It's set by the promotion? Really? Okay, so if I have a, a, but is there like a minimum? I mean, if I put on, I don't know. We can have John call in and maybe he'll explain it if he wants to. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, I remember I was sitting there and Herb and I were talking about money and all the shows out there, the UFC pays the least. Wow. I didn't, I guess I just didn't realize that the shows had the ability to set their own price, which is, I mean, I guess makes it kind of competitive. Obviously, in the case of ACB, you yeah. know, if you want the best, you can pay yeah, a premium. So that's why they have John and Herb there all the time. And hmm. you know, yeah, okay. I do know that uh, uh, over at well, we, we should find out about this too because our own uh, amateur promotion, Real MMA. I mean, we pay referees over there. I've never seen uh, Big John or or Herb, but we do use Steve Mazzagatti. He's yeah. over there. So uh, I don't know how that works. That's interesting. Yeah, I, and. They're not very well taken care of. Well, and I, I always knew that, and I'd never heard actual figures, but I knew that it, it certainly was not like anybody's getting rich doing that. Like it's, if anything, if you're, you have the ability like John and Herb have done to sort of build their brand, they can build it off of the visibility. And then of course they can run their ref camps right. and stuff like that and make the money. But I just assumed that that low pay was mandated by the state that that they're not paid and now i wonder if that is the case with judges or I, I don't know yeah and i know that for example like the acb goes to so many different countries that don't yeah. have their own commissions yeah so they actually will pay the english commission to bring them there so that way the commission will be their owning body and if anybody thinks that there's a conflict of interest as far as bringing in the commission mm -hmm. the ufc also does that too bellator and to tell you one of the stories we're in poland right and uh poland their rules on how the commissions there will work you don't need to have a ringside physician mm -hmm. you could just have an emt you know a paramedic somebody who's basically you know uh, an EMT one, you know, which, yeah. you know, in the States is not a lot of training compared to what a physician or a doctor would obviously uh, receive. Um, there could be an argument made that a very veteran EMT might be better at assessing concussions and abrasions better than, you know, some doctors. Cause really there's not a lot of rules on it. I mean, Basically, as long as you have a, a doctor and a medical MD, mm -hmm. um, I mean, shit, I guess technically you could be a gynecologist and sit cave side, you know, uh, but you're still a physician, right? You're still a, a medical doctor. So we're there. Show's still start at 7, and it's not starting. 7.30, I'm up. I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and I can see the head of the English Commission standing there, Lee, and now he has several... Uh, of people, the promoters there in Poland, uh, ACB, Brass, everybody's, you know, what's going on? And uh, Lee's letting everybody know that, well, I don't know how they do it here in Poland, but we're not starting these fights until there's a doctor here. Mm -hmm. Took 45 minutes for them to get a doctor. Wow, did you have to get up and do stand-up? No, stuff to entertain sat there the crowd? Just talk, no, we just didn't go live, so we are just sitting oh, there. Okay. Yeah, people getting there, people breathless, angry, but this guy... And the commission there stuck to their guns 
to where they, uh, you know, I even mm-hmm. told him, like, I walked up to him and he had his arms crossed and he's getting the, the evil eye from a lot of people that have invested money in this show going. Yeah. You can imagine, you know I mean? Imagine, like, you got a Dana White or, you know, a Coker, you know, staring at you, like, just start the show. Mm-hmm. It's the rules here. Just play by the rules here. And he's like, nope, I don't feel comfortable with that. That's not how we do it. And actually, Big John McCarthy walked over and kind of helped him out because he's like, I'm not refereeing without a doctor yeah. side. So there was a unification there. And I looked up, to, I walked up to Lee and he has, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, legitimately angry people staring at him. And I'm like, hey, buddy, I just want to let you know right now, I hella respect you. <laughs> but God, I wouldn't want to be yeah. you right now. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? That's smart because if they do it and nothing happens, nobody's going to hear about it. But if they did it and something happened, you would be famous for all the yeah, wrong reasons. No, you're absolutely in right. That promotion. That's uh, you know. So the commission there. I mean, the English guys, uh, uh, Lee Doyle and that group, a bunch of great guys. Um, <laughs> another story that lets you know how. Like I even one time told them uh, we had this conversation because something happened in one of the countries that we were at, mm-hmm. where uh, one of the commissioners. Uh, one of the you know the workers uh, uh, for the English Commission. So, there was a guy who kept stepping up and coaching cage side. Well, little did they know that this guy in the country that we were in was very well connected, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, he wasn't somebody you tell no to. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> our commissioner's like, "Hey, man, you know you can't you know keep it down." So he gets a dirty look from the guy. The guy goes to walk off, turns around, punches him in the back of the head. One of our other commissioners, uh, maybe I can get them if they ever want to come on and talk about it. I won't say their names. Yeah. But he jumps to the rescue of his other guy getting hit. Like, hey, what are you doing? All of a sudden, all the guys, uh, men, you know, that, that we weren't aware were there, yeah. snatched him up and started dragging him outside. Um, we thought he was going to get killed. <laughs> wow. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, we're not killed, but, you know, yeah. it, it, it's looking bad. Like, it's like <laughs> as he said, his feet never touched the ground. Yeah. They ran out him outside, explained that this guy, who he was, how important he as a businessman or, you know, he was. And so, uh, you know, <laughs> everything was okay. But I even told him, I'm like, hey, man, you know, we're, you know, we're in some crazy countries sometimes, sure. you know, like, do you ever think you might want to know who's who, you know? <laughs> but they're like, no, if you're not following the rules, you're not following the rules. I'm like, and that's why I love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> that's the type of people that conquer the world. They're like, no fear. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> so this guy was like the Conor McGregor of his village, just thinking he could just walk right up to the cage yep. and corner and. Oh boy! Yeah. Wow. So the English Commission has to deal. I mean, we go into places, you know, language barriers and stuff, and and the ACB. That's why, that's why Merrick, you know, hires these guys to keep them there, um, to keep everybody honest, to keep them on the straight. You know, it keeps mm-hmm. protects the fighters, it protects the production. You know that there's no, you know, crazy back shit going on because guess what you know at the end of the day i mean the acb has to provide just like you you know just like you pay a fee to the commission and all the licensing but you don't run them you know you don't own them it's it's somebody else who's a separate entity who's going to make these decisions Mm -hmm. so you don't have to sit there and go well you know who why did that guy win a decision like hey at the end of the day they're their own commission they're their own judges it's separate you know yeah Wow. That kind of behind the scenes stuff is fascinating. Yeah. You well, know, a lot of times and, you got to go with me, man. You, yeah. It's super cool to sit there and see just because the ACB right now is what the UFC was, you know, in two thousands, you know, when I first started where mm-hmm. it was just a bunch of guys that love fighting, you know, Maribach, you know, uh, Mr. Steve is, is done well, you know, and, 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 and you know, he doesn't make his money in the ACB, you know, he, he's made his money, you know, basically, you know, 
rebuilding Chechnya after the war, organizing. I mean, the guy is just you know a, a brilliant businessman who was a martial artist when he was younger. Loves martial arts, loves fighters, and you know he's the facility that he built. That's why I'm thinking I might go out there and train. It's one of the top facilities I've ever seen in the world. Like you walk in, it's like something that a, a soccer player, a football player, would be accustomed to. I'm like, wow. I mean, it is just. It, it, I mean, laid out. They have dorms. They have a dining hall that you go and you eat. You go train a weight room. I mean. It's unbelievable the, the amount of, uh, of interest that he has in it. So it's not like, you know, obviously I'm sure he doesn't want to lose money running the ACBs, but it's it's for the love of it. It's kind of like one of those things where it's like, hey, as long as it breaks even, you know, uh, you know, that's, I think, their mindset. And uh, and it's more of a passion. And that's mm-hmm. what I like about it. And then, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, the UFC right now, I feel, you know, when the Fertitas owned it, you know, I mean, and Dana still tries to be that way, you know, it was a passion, you know, I mean, the Fertitas mm-hmm. make their money at station casinos, you know, they made their money selling it, but you know, they didn't make their money in the UFC. Uh, and, uh, you know, for a while there, they were losing money until Connor, until, uh, Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner, ultimate fighter, that yeah. ultimate fighter turned around, man. Afterwards, like about six months later, I'm sitting there with Joe Silva. He goes, we almost got sold. Mm-hmm. That's how, cl- how bang, how much under the wire. I think they were like 40 million in the hole at one point. And they're like, man, we're just losing too much money, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they loved it. So that's what they went through. Whereas now everybody's like, ah, you know, the USC seems different. I'm like, well, yeah, now it's being ran like a business, which I don't think that the WME or WMG always mess it up. Oh, uh, WME, wait. WMI, w- right? W, no, WME, IMG. I'll never get that right. Yeah. It'll be like six months from now. It's like when I used to say, follow us on. Yeah, right. Fuck if I know. Right. The, the new owners. <laughs> yeah, the new owners. Call I'll just yeah. call them the new owners. I think that they're trying to run the UFC like a mainstream sport. And the more I sit back and realize, We'll never be a mainstream sport. MMA is never going to be baseball, football, basketball. And trying to think that we'll ever be there, mm-hmm. it just isn't. You know what I mean? Like people will go to a football game and not know who's playing, not know much about football, and still like buy a jacket and show up. It's like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. Our fans in MMA, we're a cult. Yeah. We have the most hardcore fans. Like if you get a fan from our sport and a fan from another, the our average fan knows more about MMA than the average baseball player knows about baseball. Yeah, I mean we're just fanatics in our sport. We're diehards, but it's a cult following. It's it's never going to be a huge mainstream. I don't think, and I mean I might be making some of our listeners mad, but. I just don't think that we have that appeal to cross over to just be an everyday thing where grandma's showing up at it, mm-hmm. whereas grandma still buys season tickets to go to her old college alma mater to watch the game. You That's know I mean? the way I like it, too. I mean, I think people need to be careful what they wish for when they talk about things getting I too like big. The fa- you know what? I liked it back even better 10, 15 years ago yeah. when no one knew what the fuck I was talking about. When you said UFC, they're like, what? I kind of liked it. It was our own little thing. You know, Now that it's gotten as popular as it has everybody thinks that they're you know you know they have an insight in on it but still i love it when i hang out with the hardcore fans you know mm-hmm. our true fans people that listen to phone booth fighter or you know or you know the, the fighter and the kid you know like people that are on the you know inside like they're just, it's enjoyable to listen and talk to because they're knowledgeable about the sport i, I don't ever want to get to a point where someone comes up to me and they're a fan and they have no fucking idea what a kimura is yeah you know what i mean it's like yeah. hey man it's awesome i came in you know i want your autograph I'm like cool so do you train no Mm-hmm. Have you, do you so? Do you know anything about the sport? Nah, man. It's just it's fucking cool. I'm like, oh, you're just just a bandwagon because everybody else thinks it's cool. No, that's not fun. Yeah, and also once you know, I I want it. Here's how big I I want it to be. I want it to always be big enough so that guys who who fight 
can and and girls can make a living doing it. It doesn't mean everybody's going to get rich, but I mean that's nice that we don't we don't necessarily need people starving. But if they if they can make a living and have abilities to go out and get sponsors, for example, yeah. you know, to be able to have a little uh, a, a little cottage brand, but and also. Uh, I like having, you know, a lot of people have complained about the, the number of fights. I don't necessarily complain about that because I don't like other sports. But I would like to have this. I'd like to have the option of if if I want to see fights every week, I could. doesn't have to be the same promotion every week. Just something somewhere yeah. every week if I can get that. But if you start getting a lot of money involved in things, and I mean, you know, tens of billions of millions upon billions, that's where uh, you can also get a lot of knuckleheadedness involved. That's where things yeah. start happening. That Here's my thing. Yeah. I never want to make it to where our sport is so big that our stars of our sport go to the gym and have a fucking bodyguard or two with them. Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm-hmm. where you, you, you can go out and you see Max Holloway, but then all of a sudden there's three guys surrounding him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't want that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I like the fact that, you know, like right now I just went to Walmart to buy a car cover for the, you know, the, the car we're working on. They throw it over the top and like I walk in, the guy in the front's like, oh shit, it's Frank Mayer. Take a picture with him where I'm, like, I think that Did that- your bodyguard take the picture while yeah. the two of you posed? No, she was buying makeup. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I think that that's cool still. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. obviously Connor's an old other world. You know what I mean? You know, he is that superstar, but at least he's the exception. You know what I mean? Like he's just the one. Nobody else, I mean, you know, shit man our heavyweight champ of the ufc fucking still works a fucking job at over as a firefighter i like that i think that's cool I you know what i mean too. like you just a joe blow like we're all just normal guys and i think that helps out too like our youth realize it's like I, there's so much mysticism and illusion in the entertainment world like i think everybody thinks that everybody who's in a rap video lives in a four million dollar house mm-hmm. somewhere in the in beverly hill like, for I'm life like, you know what yeah. those those people don't live in those kind of houses yeah. they might give you the illusion they do uh like you know they don't all take private jets everywhere most of them are you know flying business Mm -hmm. but you know not everybody's jumping in in those situations or and if they do try to live that way such a short period of time you're making that kind of money usually they're broke in a couple years and so uh i i don't want our sport to be that big i like the fact that we all walk around you can see anybody you know what i mean you can walk in you know ryan bader from light heavyweight champ of the bellator you know, he's out at a restaurant with his wife and kids. You know what I mean? Like, uh, oh, there's Ryan. Hey, man, that's mm-hmm. cool. You know, not sectioned off, not in a back room with three or four guys with sunglasses and earpieces. Hey, man, you know, you got to leave the champ alone. I'm like, uh, that's not cool. Yeah. yeah and I think I, that'll hurt us. I yeah. think the fact that our sport loves is that you go to a fight and you can see us walking through, you know, at, at, at different assemblies. You see the fighters walking around. Hey, man, let's, oh, shit, there's John. You know, John fucking Jones is right there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the other thing, too, I think that that does is when when you look at sports that are, um, uh, then you look at like team sports, you know, uh, football, football basketball, stuff like that, people tend to be very loyal to a team, but not all the time necessarily to an entire league. And I think one of the cool things about fighting is that a lot of times there's just loyalty to the league. I mean, everybody's going to have their favorite fighter, but it doesn't mean that if they see somebody who isn't their favorite fighter, they're not still going to be engaged. They're not still going to be enthusiastic because they know that that fighter is still a representative of the league that they, uh, that they enjoy. Well, Well, and I think what's going to happen and actually that's why like, Connor is good for the sport. I know the guy moronically jumped in the cage back in you know in Ireland, but 
I'm sure the guys in his off season, you know, he's probably wasn't exactly sober and didn't make the best decisions. But uh, for the most part, like he's breaking barriers. Uh, already, he fought outside the UFC. Now it was a boxing match, but I mean, think about it. That's what fighting does all, or boxing does all the time. You have the WBC champ could also be the WBO and the IBF or you have multiple champs in different weight classes and they can fight each other. And I think that eventually, because Connor kind of already broke that mold, that you're going to get to a point to where, you know, Bellator is going to have somebody, you know, ACB might have somebody, UFC has somebody in different weight classes with the champs. And instead of being like, oh shit, they're never going to face each other because they're mm -hmm. contracted separately. You know, like how it was for a while there, like, you know, Fedor and the heavyweights here in the UFC, for, you know, when I was the champ, it's like, well, could you and Fedor ever fight each other? It's like, never going to happen mm -hmm. because he's a champ there. I'm the champ here. Or, you know, or when, you know, Vandalay Silva was Vandalay Silva over in Pride and he was at his peak. Yeah. And then you had Chuck Liddell, who was as peak as a light heavyweight, why couldn't they have fought each other? Why couldn't at that time Pride and UFC co-promoted together? Yeah. And I, I think that's actually where the future of the sport hopefully will go to, where you can have these big events, you know, where it's like, oh, we're going to co-promote, and these two guys are going to clash against each other. And then you can have people that are multiple promoting champs. WME IMG apparently uh, has already gotten word that Frank Mir is having a hard time remembering their initials. They've changed their parent company to the name Endeavor. <laughs> Thank you guys. I yeah, appreciate that. That just happened last month. So uh, they knew. They they kept hearing they're like, ah, Mir's yeah, struggling. We, we can't have they that. know when I commentate, no. I give everybody nicknames or short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I almost burned my house down last night. I um I uh the meth lab went up. Well, <laughs> You know, it's funny. Uh, we have, you know, we're a blended family, and uh, we're we're pet lovers. And so you put a couple of pet lovers together, and you get even more pets than the two people had individually. And so yeah, you can't sneak into your house. No, 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 no. They and they, if you did, I wouldn't want to see what Nala would do to you. Yeah, everyone is aware. Everyone is aware when uh, it's funny. Uh, uh, Sasha, our other, we have uh, the dogs. We have two females and two males. And uh, uh, we have Nala, our pit bull, and then we have Sasha, who is our. Uh, she's kind of an English Shepherd mix, but she is the um, she's the first responder. She's the voice that you hear first because she uh, likes to make the couch in the living room her domain. So she always gets. She always likes to keep one eye on the door. Nala is, uh, she sort of takes the Frank Mirror approach where uh, she'll be uh, sleeping on the bed and she'll, she will respond if needed. Right. But she doesn't go to every call. No. She's kind of like, all right, let me know if it's really something if serious. If it's important and gets to be taken care of, yeah. I'll take care of it. Then I'll show up and let him see me. Yes. But otherwise, you can handle it. Yeah. So, uh, and then we have uh, our little guy, uh, Halsey, who is our Corgi Jack Russell mix. And he's, he's got the little man syndrome. He's, uh, he has to let everybody know that he's a big dog. And then, of course, we have uh, Mel, my, my other uh, strong, silent type pit bull. So we got the pack of four dogs. But we also. You still got to videotape Mel barking for me. Oh, yeah, I will. It's hard. I just, just yeah. want to see it. It's hard to catch. He doesn't uh, do it uh, hardly very often in front of anybody. But I've never even heard him make a noise. No, he's usually silent. Have I shown you video of him playing wrestling with Nala? No. I'll show you some video of that, yeah, because he, he will wrestle with her, and bo both of them being pit bulls, they, they get real real physical. It's That's It's cool. funny, yeah. So I'll show you that. But uh, So, so how do you almost burn your house down? Okay, yeah, so we have the four dogs, but we also have five cats. Now, Is there a limit on how many cats you can have? Probably. 
But uh, we have five cats because I, I had... Uh, I don't know, man. There's some cat ladies out there. I had two. Jennifer had three. And like the Brady Bunch, you know, we came together. But the thing is, is we are very, very clean. I mean, we yeah. are very neat people. I've been to your home. Yeah. So uh, there is, you know, it's like having a lot of kids. There's a lot of cleaning that has to go on all the time and that sort of thing. And uh, the way the house is, it's a it's two- It's not like having kids. Kids are way more destructive. In well, yeah, that's probably true because they have thumbs. Yes. They can do way that more. That uh, thumb is yeah. a lot of damage. <laughs> <laughs> so the cats, we have a two-story house, but uh, the 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 second story, there's a loft. So the it looks out over the first floor, and the cats basically have that loft area as their domain. We do not allow the dogs up there, so the cats have their own, uh, you know, safe space up there. So... Out of the five cats, uh, we have a couple of elderly ladies, and one of our uh, old lady cats has gotten to the age where she's a little bit incontinent, so we put the the puppy pads down for her, you know, because sometimes she will miss the litter box. I think it's because she's arthritic. Who was the one that you guys had to, like, baby real bad, like, about a month or two? That was her. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, she's... It looked like she was like, I, yeah. I thought I was going to get the phone call that... Exactly. Hey, yeah. man, we're not taping the show tonight. Yeah. She was, she, was, she was looking real rough there a couple of months she's ago. She's bouncing back pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, she's like a 20-year-old cat. So, so, you know, she's, she's like an old lady and, and they get arthritic. And so sometimes it's hard to climb in and out of the litter box. So sometimes she doesn't make it. So we put the, the puppy pads down for her. Right. And you must be wondering, what does this have to do with setting your house on fire? Well, last night, uh, before I headed down to the comedy club, I was, uh, uh, putting, you know, pads down, cleaning the litter boxes and stuff like that. And I took one of the pads that I was about to tape down next to the litter box, and I draped it over the railing of the loft, right? And uh, I didn't realize it, but it blew off the side of the railing, drifted down to the first floor, and landed right on top of a candle that I had burning uh, in our entryway. And I didn't notice it at first. even before the smoke detector went off or anything like that. I just heard a weird noise. It was like a crackling. Oh, that's weird. And I looked over the railing and the entire, there's like one of those little tables in the foyer with the candles, you know, where you put your keys and stuff like that. The whole thing's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I grabbed the cat's water bowl. That's a big fire. Like, it was hot to your face probably, huh? Yeah. I grabbed the cat's water bowl and threw it down on the uh, thing. That extinguished a fair amount of it. And it, fortunately, it didn't travel much outside of that. But it was a little, ca- even though I had a fire extinguisher. On the, uh, no, no, it did. You had a fire extinguisher. Yeah, I do. But it was in the laundry room, which I would have had to have gone past the fire to get to well, that's okay. At least you the have laundry one. room. Yeah. I told you, that's my pet peeve with people. Oh, when they don't? Guys that have 30 fucking guns in their house oh, and yeah, not exactly, one fire right. extinguisher, yeah, yeah. it's for safety. I'm like, yeah. guys, you don't care about safety. You like guns. And that's yeah. okay. Tell me you like guns. What's more likely? Yeah. yeah. Your house is li- more likely, 10 times more likely to burn down yeah. than it is to get burglarized. Yeah. It's like, but So you're in the safety? You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I had, we have one in the, uh, we have a, a fire extinguisher in the laundry room and we have one under the sink in the kitchen, but both of them 
would have if, if obviously if it had been much worse than that then that would have we would have uh, busted those out so i i get the fire get the fire fact, put actually, out i need to relook through mine i think it's been about two years because i have five of them throughout the house oh yeah yeah but you know they go bad like anything else yeah. i gotta check them again yeah now that we're having that conversation i'm like yeah. oh, shit i'm that asshole right now <laughs> <laughs> i get the uh i get the fire put out it was making me a little late to get down to the comedy club i went down to the comedy club and uh uh i I thought I was just going down there to watch a set. Uh, our, our buddy Butch Bradley was headlining. And I walked in as the opening theme is rolling. And the guy that's hosting said, I'm about to bring you up. And I went, what? And he goes, "He goes, yeah, yeah Butch said you're doing a set. I, I had no idea I was going up. I was literally setting my bags down. Because I thought we we're just going to hang out and watch the show. It was weird. I'd never had that happen to me in, in stand-up before. Because it was like I just walked in the door, put the bags down, walked right up on stage. And uh, crazy as it was. It would be kind of cool to do if I ever went to the fights. and like, Amir, yeah. wrap up. Go. I'm like, oh, shit, really? I thought I was just doing color. Yeah. yeah no, well, no. Because the worst thing, I mean. I don't know if you still get nervous like that the night before, but mm-hmm. fuck, man, two or three days before a fight, I don't eat very much. You're yeah. nervous. You got the constantly, you're, you're sitting there. You don't get a good night's sleep because, you know, you're doing the, if I do this and yeah. he does this and yeah. I do this. You're just So it'd be kind of nice to skip all past that and get right to the fight because that's the easiest, easier part mentally to deal with is once they close the cage door, like, all right, go. Now it's what you're used to. But all the other stuff beforehand, especially that two hours, man, I'll never need any kind of, uh, if I'm ever feeling constipated, just schedule me a fight because everything just goes. It's funny you say that because while I don't ordinarily feel that when I'm doing, I mean, unless the stand-up set's going to get sprung on me like uh, last night, I, I don't so much feel that before normal comedy sets but I have been feeling it with this roast battle tournament that I'm in. That is different because you absolutely have and to. You think did another through. one on Friday, right? I did. I won, so I have advanced to the final four. Uh, it started out as a 16 man tournament. You're not the only. So it's a sweet 16. Yeah. The elite eight. The yep. final four. And then the finals. And and you, I just you know point of order here. Uh, everybody may be talking about the fact that Frank Mir has gotten involved in this grueling tournament to crown a champion. You're not the only one. I, too, am in a very... Uh, it's grueling in a different way. But uh, actually, what, who am I? I would prefer to be in mine than yours. But um, yeah, so we're, we're, I got through uh, Friday. I beat a guy, uh, John Gilligan. And beat him, and then uh, he was good though. He was really good. In fact, fight. yeah, I'll bring some uh, some video of yep. it on our next episode. It was pretty good. But is he as open as our, our last guy to come on? Maybe. Oh yeah, yeah, he'd probably come on. Oh yeah, yeah, would imagine he would. But here's the crazy thing. So I I won that, and that I have actually been just what you described about you know thinking through before a fight. If I, if he does this, I do that because that's what a lot of it is. You may have these sort of pre you know, thought out insults and things uh, written down, but depending on, but you also get a rebuttal to each joke. Yeah. I saw so that. and that's yeah. where you can really get a lot of laughs. Exactly. You can really steal his you can. thunder by a smart ass rebuttal. You can. And actually that was my high point from Friday night. And I think probably how I won that round. I like rebuttals, but, but this really shows how quick witted you are, but thanks. But you have to, you have to think in terms of, Okay, if he goes here, I go there. It's right. not just cut and dry, right? It's, it's like, like fighting. Yeah, you have an idea of the different things a person's capable of, mm-hmm. but until it goes, you right. really don't know. You don't. Obviously, I know the guy's not going to do a front flip double kick. You yeah, know what I mean, like, 
you don't have to bring your brain there. Yeah. But, you know, I understand what you're saying. Like, there's certain things like, all right, you might make fun of my appearance. Yeah. My lifestyle, you know, as far as, you know, your veganism, you know. Yeah. I'm sure you have a few ideas where he might go. Yeah, absolutely. And but that, who knows? Well, and the other thing is, too, you, every, you know, the rebuttals themselves, the comebacks can be modified. So it's like, okay, if it's a rebuttal that references topic A, I can, I can defend it this way. But if he goes with topic B, I just modify that rebuttal to fit the other scenario. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that happens. So, uh, yeah, so that's been going through my head. But listen to this. So we take this week off because of Thanksgiving. But next week, a week from Friday, if anybody's... Oh, you go that one now. Okay, come on out. I need the support. If anybody's going to be uh, in Las Vegas, uh, what is that? What day is that? Let me look that up. The... Uh, not this Friday. Not 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 uh, the be, day after Thanksgiving, but the uh, would it be like December first, maybe? I'll tell you exactly. It would be December first, yes, sir. Uh, so December first, LA Comedy Club inside the Stratosphere Hotel and Casino on the Las Vegas Strip. Free show at midnight. If you want to watch me come out and try to win it all in the roast battle, but here's can I like towel you down or give you water in between? Oh, corner me. Corner I like you, that man. idea. Like it, yeah. yeah, that's a good idea. Well, it, so here's the thing. And uh, you're going to pick a good show to come out to because what I found out was, okay, so I made it to the final four. Well, is everybody going that night? Yeah, that's cool. So if I get, we can also see, I can help you scope out your opponent. That's right. So if I win that round, then I have to turn right back around and, and do the, come on, man, the fight mentality. when you win yeah. that round. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But so essentially I have to write for three people. Because I have to write for the guy I know I'm going to be competing against. Oh, that but, night you go against the guy? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. So we get to see the... Yeah, the, the championship. Nice. And it could be either guy. See, that's a crazy yeah. thing. I mean, you've got to be prepared to yeah. theoretically Old fight. tournament. Yeah, three different opponents. Exactly. Like yeah. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, so that's going oh, down. Oh, man, I'm going to make a good one then. I'm glad that it's... Yeah. Uh, Move yeah. to the following weekend because I'm actually going to be next weekend or this weekend coming up. I'm leaving. Uh, we're having Thanksgiving early, which I'm hearing now that our, our significant others have I orchestrated. We're, a, we're blending. We're merging. We're merging. Yeah. So it'll be Thursday uh, at noon. We're mm-hmm. having an early Thanksgiving because yep. I have to leave at one o'clock yeah. to go to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's so, just funny when you travel like internationally, like, certain things like it's like just, you know, becoming more international. I'm learning that things are just different different cultures but they were like all right so you're gonna be in vienna you know because uh carl prince prince he's also what the matchmaker and helps out with the acb but he's a phenomenal striking coach and mma yeah. guy and uh i really like working out with him so they're like oh prince will be there so why don't you just go from vienna and you can be in germany on monday and we'll have you you know you just work out and you know because they know that i'm back on the you know training much more vigorously and i was like uh <clears throat> there's this thing in america where we massacred all the natives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it started out <laughs> as this really nice setting that we've just established into a Thanksgiving thing. And uh, it's a meal that if, uh, you know, uh, I can't imagine having Thanksgiving in my house, my wife and kids, and then I'm not even here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work. I'm going to go ahead and jump and travel 25 hours back home to go ahead and travel only about 12 hours to get there this time. Yeah. So we're going to do, uh, we'll do Thanksgiving together then on, uh, on Thursday, yeah, that way. Um, it's, and, and you living as a you know your vegan uh, uh, etiquette or uh, you know uh, 
it's lifestyle. Because you and Jen, but then Jen's going to prepare food because now James Horn, That's the guy right. that also really watches my fights, extremely tattooed it up, big, vicious looking six foot five guy. Him and his wife have become vegans as about four or five months in now. That's right. She's a nurse. And so now she's just, I guess, seeing more of the health effects and they're, they're, they're he's sticking to it. I mean, the last time he was at my house, we were watching the some of the fights about three weeks ago and we went out and got Popeye's chicken mm-hmm. and he just had beans and rice. Yeah. You know? I'm just sitting there looking at him like, ah, well, you know. Well, now now he's going to see the gourmet side of it though, because there'll be some there'll be a lot of cooking going on in the hunter kitchen. Well, I told you that that's what we're beforehand. doing now with yeah. Jen. Yeah. We probably four or five days a week live like vegetarians. Yeah, and you know, three and the other two to three, sometimes four. We never eat meat two days in a row. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like because mm-hmm. I think also too, if you if you think about it realistically, even if you feel that like you know humans, I feel still we ate meat at a certain point. I think being your vegan choice is because of the humanitarian effects towards being humane towards animals but still the high protein the amino acids help boost the brains but the best hunters in the world weren't eating meat every day mm-hmm. you know what i mean like and you'd sure the fuck weren't eating it three or four times a day no so i think oh, that's why you see some of the cardiac them. effects that yeah. we're having but i i still don't think that for me right now jumping full vegan is gonna be you know it's like well you know meat still has its place but just i think like mediterranean diet you know they eat you know chicken maybe once a week or a mm-hmm. fish and you know once a month have a red meat you know mm-hmm and I had gone, uh, uh, oh, by the way, did you see the uh, conclusion? We got uh, Fabricio Verdum and uh, uh, Marcin uh, Tabira up here on the screen inside the bunker, the uh, heavyweight uh, contenders main event from UFC Australia this past uh, uh, Saturday. And uh, Fabricio won a, a five-round unanimous decision uh, on all three judges' scorecards. I think there was even a 10-8 round in there somewhere on one of the judges' cards, although I, I didn't, didn't Well, I had him mounted and beaten him up in that one thing, but I told you, I think I actually got this from Brian Lacey because we were mm-hmm. one time having a discussion on air about what it means to have a 10-8 round. Yeah. I think a 10-8 round means you've winning the round, and at one point we thought maybe the fight could have been stopped. Yeah, I agree. Or it was close to being close stopped. Enough, yeah. Where you know you got the judge or the referee sitting over the top, and you're like, oh, and the guy barely gets away. Yeah. It's like, oh, he survived it. It's like, all right, that's 10-8. When you when when you when you're on the verge of getting the guy stopped, mm-hmm. that's a 10-8 round. Did you uh, uh, so so uh, Fabricio comes in as a number two. Tabira came in as an eight. Uh, Verdum obviously uh, uh, you know f- further solidifies his spot up there atop the heavyweight rankings. Uh, maybe the 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 uh, did you see the the other news that uh, Fabricio made this week? He he got in the presence of Colby Covington, this guy that just beat Damian Maya. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of young upstart. And, and Covington is definitely taking a chapter from the Conor McGregor book, and he's he's trying to be brash. And, and, but uh, he's a welterweight. Yep, yep. He's, uh, he's a number three-ranked uh, welterweight. Uh, and he called the Brazilians filthy animals when uh, he, he was down there for the Maya fight. They didn't like that. Fabricio's Brazilian, of course, and uh, I guess that uh, stuck in his mind. So these two get around each other, and they're, of course, down there in Australia. Uh, Fabricio, at the press conference setting that they're in, picks up a boomerang that just happens to be sitting on the table, I guess because they're in Australia, and throws it at Colby Covington. Covington has now pressed charges against Fabricio Verdum. Well, is a, a boomerang could be considered a projectile weapon. So yeah. Assault and battery with a, uh, a deadly weapon. Yeah, sure. I mean, 
Yeah. I should have been uh, a lawyer, man. I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. You could be uh, traveling to Australia right now yeah. to uh, represent Fabricio Verdum. And now perhaps. he has to fucking pay him's ticket to go back and defend yeah, himself. I know. I know. I don't, you know, I, the thought I had was I would, I mean. Fabricio's a nice, intelligent guy. Yeah. Great martial artist. I've hung out with him. I don't think I could think of anything bad to say about the guy. Like he's good energy. He's fun. Uh, like I said, he's a smart individual. He's respectful. Like, I don't know. That's weird to me, man. Like if you told me, gave me a list of 10 guys that would pull the, let me try to, you know, be outlandish and get attention, go the Conor McGregor or, you know, type of uh, uh, stick. Mm -hmm. He's nowhere even near it, man. He might be my top ten of guys that would never go that route. So like him, you know. And then before that, was it Holloway that he had the argument? No, with? No, no, no. It was. Uh, was it? Uh, was it? Wait, was it Masvidal? It wasn't Holloway. It was. Uh, uh, it was like a forty-five pounder, a fifty-five pounder, right? Yes. Uh, who who did he? Uh, oh, Ferguson. Ferguson, Tony yeah. Ferguson. That's, that's what it was. Champ, right? Yeah, Tony Ferguson. That's yeah. Right. yeah. I'm like, so for him to, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously, even as a heavyweight, I'm not going to take shit from a lighter guy. Mm -hmm. If he goes out of his way, I'd be like, hey, buddy, you know, you, you remember here? I mean, <laughs> there's a yeah. reason why there's weight classes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, but at the same time, like, you're not really in a winning situation. I mean, that's why sometimes little guys will pick on a big guy in a mm -hmm. bar. It's like, mm -hmm. if I cream you, you're still going to kind of get some points because you faced me, but. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to get yeah, points for whooping no, your ass. No win situation. Yeah, it's really a no win situation. And so to go after for him so aggressively, I, I don't get it, man. Yeah. Like, that's just not Fabricio's style. I, I don't know. Maybe he's getting later in his career and he's trying to different marketing stuff. I don't know. The he's, fight, he's not that guy, man. He's just not. He's, well, he's a nice guy. It gave me an idea for a novelty fight. One, one night only, inside the octagon, it's Fabricio Verdum and his boomerang. Facing off against Daniel Cormier, who moves back up to heavyweight with his brown shoe. <laughs> they should do a stick together. Yeah. Just sit there and like, all right, you get your boomerang, get my shoe, and start going. You, know I mean? like, you could have like six pairs of brown shoe, all yeah. left. You know yeah. <laughs> uh, did you hear Charles Manson died? I'm aware of that. Now, real quickly, I was like, hey, wait a minute. It's funny, my wife, she's like, you are so morbid. I'm like, he died. I'm like, oh, shit, he died. Mm -hmm. I think I have him on my list. You sure do. You had Charles Manson on your roster in Doug, Doug Stanhope's celebrity death pool. So let's check the rankings. Uh, Charles Manson passed away last night at the ripe old age of 83 of unspecified natural causes. He had been in poor health for a number of months. And, yeah, he had um, that intestinal bleed yeah. back, I think, in February, January or something. And yeah. I know they didn't disclose how they fixed it, but they must have done something. I think what happened back then was that he was too weak for the surgery. There was something like that going on. So, uh, And I, I, I doubt there's just a whole lot of funding being put behind uh, keeping him alive at this point. So, yes, you did have Charles Manson uh, on your death pool. Uh, we, you and uh, me, Frank, play in a Doug Stanhope Celebrity Death Pool along with a number of our listeners. Now, we're going to look at two different uh, leagues here. We, we have a listeners league. A lot of our phone booth fighting listeners play in. And then you and I play in Doug Stanhope's invitation-only league. I think there's only like 12 of us in that league. Uh, comedian Doug Stanhope, if uh, you're not familiar with him, but I know a 
dark and twisted as a lot of our listeners are. They they know his name. Uh, all right, so Frank, you let me, let's look at the phone booth fighting league first. You in that league uh, for the year have had three kills. Uh, Hugh Hefner, who was worth nine points. Uh, reminder that the scoring system is your age uh, is one rather one hundred minus your age. So Hugh Hefner uh, lives to be um, what was he ninety uh, ninety one. So you get nine points for him. He's not a big payoff. The older these guys are, typically, and there was no bonuses on him. No, he wasn't a solo pick. Uh, uh, it, it, most of the bonuses will come from unnatural causes, yeah. drug overdoses, murders, things like that. Um, you had uh, George the Animal steal, well, and you got a, 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 a solo pick bonus off of him. You think you were the only person who picked him. So he scored you 46 points, the old classic uh, pro wrestler. And then Manson got you 17 points because he's 83 years of age. As you can imagine, a number of people had Charles Manson. Only would have fucking died a week earlier, I could have gotten. Because, you know, he just turned. That's right. Would have gotten you one more point. That's true. Uh, So, uh, boy, he sure did. His birthday was uh, November 12th. Asshole, even yeah. in the death. No. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners league, that will only get you as high as uh, number 41 okay. in the rankings. We have a total of, uh, well, actually, I don't even know the number, but I think we've got like 100 people playing in this yeah, league. I know we're over 100. Yeah. So you're, you're at least you're above the. Because the, we started our thing about two weeks later. Yeah. So a couple of my kills, I had it on my original thing. That's what it was. Yeah. You couldn't count them. That's why your rosters are a little off. So you, uh, so at least you're above the fold. You're above the Mason Dixon. Because I think line. I had 130 points when we started off in the other one. Mm-hmm. We're going to get to that one in a second because you're doing better over there. Uh, so you're at number 41. I am at uh, number 16 uh, in our phone booth fighting league. We both have three kills over there, but I have a higher uh, score total, 123 points. I've had uh, Errol Christie, former pro boxer, Gordon Downey, who was the uh, front man from the Canadian rock band Tragically Hip, and uh, Peter Solace, who is an old British actor. Uh, those are my three over there. Now, we, we need to give a shout-out to a couple of our phone booth fighting listeners, though. Uh, let's look at who is in the uh, top five. Reem Bob is uh, sitting at number five in our listeners' league with 183 points and four kills. Uh, Alptich is at number four with six kills and 186 points. Check this out. Joey Russ, even though he's at number three, has 192 points and seven kills, as does uh, Washed Up Willie, who is in first place. That's pretty crazy, seven kills. I mean, that's you got this thing down to a science. And then uh, Leonitha is in uh, second place with I might four. start calling them and conversing with them on the mm-hmm. 15th. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for my Stanhope, which I'm better yeah. chance of catching up on everybody yeah that's right because you're gonna have who are you gonna trade i'll trade see you're gonna be able to make one more trade we get a a 24-hour trade window that opens on the 15th of each month and the season runs the entire calendar year so there'll be one more trade deadline on december 15th see it's just like fantasy football uh but different cool okay so let's look at uh our our stanhope league because that's where you're doing that now you came out you are uh 
according to the commissioner of the Death Pool League. I got the fastest kill now, right? You did. It was fastest kill in uh, Death Pool history. I got the fastest heavyweight title submission in the UFC, and now I can put up there the fastest kill in Doug, Stone, Doug Stanhope's Celebrity Death Pool. It's right up there. When they induct you into the Hall of Fame, I'm going to make sure that yeah, is not overlooked. Another, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so right now, you are in sixth place in uh the death pool league that's out of i think there's 14 of us playing you are in uh sixth place with five kills that's pretty impressive i mean you only get 20 picks that means one in uh four people have died i pick you the 25 percent chance your ass is gonna die (laughs) that's right so you had uh let me look at your uh let me look at who you had so uh you had manson 17 points george the animal steel Hugh Hefner, and then John Hurt, the actor. That's the yeah. one that you killed right out of the gate yeah, uh, when like the season started. A couple hours into it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you sure did. And then you also had uh, Juiced Vander Westhulsen, who was an old rugby player. Uh, that he's he's been in uh, yeah, he in bad health for a number of years I, now. I so, researched on him to find him. Yeah, exactly. So that's who you had. So you're there at six. I'm at uh, ninth in the so we kind of flip flop there. I'm at ninth in the uh, in Doug's so league. So how many points do I have in Doug's league? Okay, you have um, 175. See the and two, what's first place? Well, uh, first place is 288. Ah, no. Yeah, I mean, there's no way I'm catching him now. Uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, but the thing is, is that see you have you have five kills. The two places above you only have four kills. It's just that they they yeah. paid off better. But see, those are reachable. I mean, you're at one seventy five. The person above you is one ninety one. No, person can, above you is yeah, one ninety five. Two hundred six. Yeah. So could I could it. slide into fourth. You could do it. I'll tell you what did it for Doug. Now Doug himself is all the way up there at number two, which I think this is the highest he has ever been at this point in the season. He and and uh, uh, you know this is going to sound terrible, but but he knew he was on Doug's list year in and year out. My old friend Ralphie May. Doug and Ralphie were friends. That's right. And Doug always told Ralphie, I'm putting you on my death pool list. He had him every single season. Man, I should have put him on mine just after we went to that thing. I told you when we sat and met him and hung out, he just had that real grayish tint Mm -hmm. to him. I'm like, man, he doesn't look like he's got enough oxygen. Well, you wouldn't have been able to pick him because Doug would already had him. See, Doug puts him on at the beginning of every year. Oh, so even on the trade, I can't take. Not if he's already taken. That's right. Doug had him as a solo pick. And plus the fact that he was, what, 45? He he was an 80-point payoff. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So, uh, so, so that did it for him. So, uh, but the thing is, you got, you, got, uh, you got a couple of long shots here because whoever created the rules of the league was very smart in doing this. The biggest payoff, if you look at the scoring, the, the, the biggest uh, bonus you could possibly get is if one of your celebrities dies on New Year's Eve. Yep. It's called The Last Call. That's 50 points, right? 100. What's 100 points? See, it's a game so, changer. So 100 points plus, like, if they died, like, the drug overdose is, like, a 25-point. Yep. That's why, like, Lindsay Lohan would be, like, yeah. a 200-point win, right? Yeah. If, if, if whatever she uh, overdoes on New Year's Eve, she could do before the stroke of midnight. Okay, so if I hung out with her... Mm-hmm. And helped motivate her to do more drugs than usual. There would be a review because... Uh, but I didn't directly kill her. I just partied with her. 
Uh, well, let me just say, as somebody who competes against you in that le- in this league, uh, I would call for at least an inquiry. Because the first rule of Celebrity Death Pool, and I'm reading it verbatim from the website right now, thou shalt not murder thy picks. Right. But then would we have to fall on a judicial court to decide whether I killed her or not? Well, It'd be kind of like, wasn't it one of the twins? Uh, Olsen twins? Didn't they party with uh, or gave him the pills? Uh, the Joker. Um, oh, Heath Ledger. Uh, Heath Ledger. I they were involved like in somehow that. that. Yeah, okay. I heard. I don't know if that was substantiated, but I did hear because something. As like a that. drug dealer, if you mm-hmm. give someone heroin and they mm-hmm. OD, have we ever arrested a drug dealer for manslaughter? I think so. Yeah, oh. I, I think they can be held uh, accountable. Okay, Certainly so if I don't actually sell you the drugs. But I'm like, hey, I'm doing drugs. Would you like to do drugs too? And just fake it, kind of like one of those over-the-shoulder things, you know? Like, oh, I, I did a shot, and you party. That's not killing you. Let me, uh, <laughs> let me, let me further review the rule. Because... I mean, we're, we're born on the fact that a that I can be allowed to by the wife party with Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. B, Lindsay Lohan wants to party with me, and C, if I can convince her to do, she'd probably kill me if I tried to keep up with her in drugs. Yeah. Do you think you could make the case to Mrs. Muir that uh, that that a celebrity Celebrity death pool victory could could be on the line, and that there is money involved. Yeah, I'll just bring like whatever they do in the movies. Yeah, the fake cocaine, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. like a Tony mm-hmm. Montana thing. Yeah, just make sure hers is not fake. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty there's... sure she wouldn't be. Yeah, well, the rule says I'm pretty sure she's not opposed to doing drugs, right? I certainly not in her past. I don't know where <laughs> she's at these days, but but the rule clearly states: after uh, thou shalt not murder thy picks, league members are hereby forbidden from harming murdering or in any manner affecting the general health or well-being of any celebrity league members that do not adhere to this rule will be expelled from Doug Hill's celebrity death pool and permanent permanently and shall be prosecuted to the full extent of the law all right gets competitive gets yeah. competitive folks is right. Lindsay still on my list, right, for Doug at Stanhope's? I don't think so. I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you. Who's the youngest person I can influence? Okay. <laughs> no, you know what? That That's interesting because as it gets later in the year, you you start looking for people like that because they're bigger, they're more, they're, they're bigger long shots. Yeah, they're Hail Marys. And I'll tell you the one that I did that with is uh, Aaron Carter. You know that guy? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I picked him up. And uh, he would be a huge payoff uh, for me because I think I got him – uh, as a, yeah, I got him as a solo pick and he yeah. was, he was born in 87. I mean, that, that would be a game changer right there. All right. Your youngest person that you still have on the roster is probably going to be, uh, let's see. Well, it's certainly not Bill Cosby, Clint Eastwood, Dick Cheney, Hulk Hogan, probably Jamie Lynn Sigler. You got her. She was born in 81. So that, that would be it probably. Uh-huh. Other than that, you got a bunch of old geezers on there. All right. She'd be, yeah, if I could get her to dialysis, that would be like 70 points, let's say. Yeah. Because what is she? Well, I guess a little bit less than 70. What, 63 points? Mm-hmm. 64 points is she, what, 36? 81. So, yeah, she's 36. So I get uh, 74 points there, 100 points. If I can get her to do drugs, 25. <laughs> yeah, that's almost 200 points, man. But I'm telling you, you got to be careful about putting this stuff on tape because this will this this episode will be subpoenaed. Right? No. Yeah. <laughs> While she dies at a drug overdose, uh-huh. then, where were you? I'm like, I swear to God, it was a joke. I was taping a podcast. <laughs> Speaking of subpoenaed, 
I got subpoenaed last week. That's right. I had to go to Reno to testify in Scott Thorson's uh, early release hearing. Scott Thorson is uh, the former boyfriend of Liberace, the uh, guy who was played by Matt Damon in the movie Behind the Candelabra with Mike Douglas as Liberace. If you saw that, the HBO movie from a few years ago that won all the awards. Scott Thorson was Liberace's ex-boyfriend. Scott and I are friends. That's a whole long story as to how we know each other. Uh, <laughs> it's not what you think, but it's maybe even weirder than what you might assume. Um, so that's the story. For, I think I've told it on the podcast before, but we'll have to review that another time. But Scott is, uh, is in prison up in northern Nevada because uh, Scott has had drug problems in his life. And uh, he had tested positive for some drugs, and uh, his parole or probation, probation, I guess at that point, got revoked, and he got sent to prison. He's been in there for like four years now. If he gets out, I'm going to put him on my list next year. Drug addicts are great picks. Yep. Well, I tell you what, I will get him on the podcast, and you can uh, interview him in person and see, you know, see what tells you can pick up on. Yeah. So I I went up to uh, to Reno, and you know, you've heard my my monologue about how it galls me that I can't get selected for jury duty. Well, this short of that, I mean, this fulfilled a fantasy because I was brought into the courtroom as a star witness, got to raise my right hand, take the witness stand, the whole bit. I got cross-examined by the DA who was aggressive, you know, thought she was going to, was going to, uh, was going to get me. Yeah. And what I was there to do was to testify that while Scott was in my presence, that he was able to stay to abstain from drugs because, as you know, I'm a teetotaler. So uh, what happened, though, was, and this was when I was living up in Reno by the Bunny Ranch, we actually moved him into the Bunny Ranch for a while. And you would think, oh, that's a terrible, tempting place. But it's actually not because there's an, there's a, a security gate around the whole thing. You have to be buzzed in and out of there. You can't just get onto the property. And because everybody on site has to be licensed and, and you know, no, no uh, criminal records and things like that, then y- you actually end up not having a lot of the problem that you have in the outside world. So, and, and especially as long as I was able to keep an eye on him, he was able to stay straight. Well, the issue was this. Hit the offenses that he was on probation for were in Washoe County, which is where Reno is. And the neighboring county, which is Lyon County, that's where the Bunny Ranch is. So the county that had jurisdiction over him, meaning Washoe, they wanted him in Washoe County. Well, I lived just over the county line. Carson City, where the Bunny Ranch is in Reno, are only about 30 minutes from each other. And I lived on a ranch that was just about halfway in between, just over the county line in Washoe. So we said to the judge, all right, well, I'll move him out to my ranch, and he can live in the guest house there, and he will technically be in Washoe. And we did that for a little bit. That was an even safer place for him because it was just me and, and Jennifer out there. So, you know, he, he, there wasn't even a store he could walk to to uh, try to score. Well, the judge wasn't having that, so the judge picked him up and moved him into downtown Reno in a hotel. I don't know if you've you ever spent much time in Reno. No. I've been there. I've not spent a lot of time there. Gets a little gritty Just downtown. tournaments and stuff I've yeah. wrestled up in there. Gets a little gritty in the downtown area. And they insisted that he move into 
basically a drug hotel. I had to help move him into the hotel, and I was shooing drug dealers off the elevator as we were moving him in that had already identified him as a target. So uh, his the, the assistant district attorney apparently had said to his probation officer that, okay, now that we've got him downtown, it won't be long and he'll screw up and we'll bust him. So the assistant DA kind of had it in for him, right? And so a lot of the testimony was based on this kind of stuff. They're calling in the probation officer to testify against the assistant DA who had since retired, things like that. So I'm in there to testify to the part Why that I Why did they have something against him? Because... Why did that AD have it? Yeah, been? so here's what happened. Um, you know, not that Scott Thorson is a is an A-list celebrity, but certainly at the time, especially because of the notoriety around the movie and that Matt Damon's playing him in a movie and, and the movie was a big hit, he was a celebrity and, and people knew the name. Well, the fact that Dennis Hoff from the Bunny Ranch got involved with him, I mean, that, that helped get him out of jail to begin with, but then once he's out of jail, that also, you've got a, you know, you've got an illuminated pimp standing next to you uh that's calling even more attention especially up there where that's dennis's backyard you know so it's it's a spectacle and as you know dennis uh courts the the limelight so it's all over the news so i think it was that i think it was like the you know reno is uh i think advertises themselves as like the world's biggest little city or something like that so there is kind of a even though i think there's half a million people there at least that live there it is kind of a small town feel so it's like you know they're looking at it like oh this is going to be embarrassing to us if this sideshow comes through our courtroom and we had gotten in this this high-powered defense attorney this guy david houston that practices there he was actually speaking of hulk hogan in your death pool he was hulk hogan's attorney during his sex tape thing that hulk hogan had going on so david went into court and got him this this probation deal and the DA was mad about it and the DA kind of had it out for him to get him to screw up so that they could invoke the full sentence. That's what happened. He's been in prison for the last four years, which is actually the only reason I've ever been in a prison. I've been to visit him. I'd never you've been ever been in a prison? Mm-hmm. It's scary. Did were you freaked out? Like with all the it freaked me out, like actually going in and all those double, all those gates are slammed behind you, yeah, and you're walking through the razor wire just, and all that kind of stuff. I just remember uh, my thing is when people sit there like to be a criminal or not. I'm like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the idea of being imprisoned mm-hmm. scares the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I mean, the idea that like, all right, everybody go into your room, shut the door, you can't get out. I'm like, that would drive me nuts. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, yeah. I'm too much of a, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like laying in my bed and hanging out, but like when it's time for me to get up, I want to be. If I want to go down the street, I want to go down the street. Yeah. Be being told what to do and being that confined, um, you know, it, it would uh, it'd take the life out of me. Yeah, it would me too. So I went up there and and testified to what I knew and what I had overheard because I had overheard a conversation between the, the probation officer and the assistant DA and all this. And uh, it was very exciting. It was uh, exactly. So you heard the DA? I did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's part of why I was being called. Yeah, I heard him. Man, that's kind of uh For somebody be, you know, in the, in, in the Justice Department to be trying to set someone up, mm-hmm. um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like a cop can't, you know, if conflict of interest, um, coercion. No, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like collusion. 
collusion. No, what is it if a police officer, you know, you know, goes as an undercover, you know, drug mm-hmm. dealer, they can sit there and like if you come up to them, there's like, okay, well, that's you, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. But like, he can't come knock on my door. Oh, entrapment. Entrapment. Yep. Yes. Yep. You know, you can't come and be like, hey, would you like to buy drugs? You can't go first. Exactly. Because it's like it'll be like you know sending a prostitute to my room. It'll mm-hmm. be like, well, that's entrapment. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, you can't corner me and try to like put me in a situation to break the law you can sit there like a mouse trap and be like all right there it is man if you go for it you're screwed yeah you know but you can't sit there and throw the mouse trap at me right and it goes against that's entrapment yes and it also goes against the general principle of rehabilitation which is what the justice system's supposed to be there for to begin with yeah you know you're supposed to no matter both sides should theoretically be rooting for the criminal to rehabilitate as Correct. opposed to reoffend. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's counterintuitive to his job. And so I had, I had overheard it. Um, and it was interesting because it was, did that blow your mind to hear a, a, a district attorney? I mean, a bit yeah. assistant, to sit there and go, okay, well we're going to put him here and we know he's going to fuck up if we get him over there. It's like, well, if you know that's going to make him fuck up, why don't we stick him over here where he mm-hmm. might not fuck up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it absolutely. And just, don't we want to help this guy with the tools to become part of society again? Like, if if not, then just fuck it, throwing him in jail. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you don't think this guy has a chance, then why are we letting him loose? So then he gets drugged up, drives a car, and smashes into some family. It was weird to me, and and could I you think- imagine if he did? Like, then think about the lawsuit there. Like, if I knew that. And I found out that as a district attorney, you put the guy in a situation where you were hoping he was going to fail. Mm-hmm. If he did fail, let's say he gets loaded, gets behind the wheel of a car, and he runs a family over. Yeah. You're fucking responsible too now, man, because you put him in a situation to fail, hoping he would fail. Mm-hmm. And now he killed somebody because he was fucking lit and behind the wheel of a car. Um, if that was my family, I'm going to be like, so why was this guy out? I know. I know. I, w- I would hold that person partially responsible. Yeah. For it, for creating that definitely a negligence, a civil lawsuit, and especially right? to especially if you know Scott, because he we if we get him out if we can get him out of prison, we will get him on the podcast. You can hear all the stories yourself. But he is he's a he's a nice guy. He's not a violent criminal. He's one of these people who. He's he would never do anything to He's hurt just you. He's an addict. He's an addict. That's right. it. And he will get him, Yep. And he will get himself in situations where you know he'll be wrong place, wrong time uh, a lot of the time. Um, to, to to I don't I don't think I've told the story on the podcast, but when I one of my first uh, experiences with him, just to sort of put this picture in the frame, and Scott's in his late fifties at this point, right? At least, gosh, he might have passed sixty at this point, but he's definitely in his late fifties. He, um, uh, we had we had bailed him out of jail. Uh, Dennis Hoff, the guy that owns the Bunny Ranch, and I had I had gone to Dennis when the movie came out because I found out Scott was in the Reno jail, and I said, "Hey, I don't know what we're going to do with him once we get him out, but let's bail this guy out of jail. Let's move him into the Bunny Ranch, see what happens." So Dennis went for it. Dennis paid out all the cash we moved him in as a as a greeter uh, as an ambassador and uh dennis ended up doing a whole bunch of press with him that you yeah, probably you still worry find about trying to go after any of the girls you did not no you definitely did not have to worry about that but um <laughs> is he gay like ew women gay like you know what I mean? like oh god no you know? he's real gay I mean, he is he is a classic gay. Yeah. Um, but I believe he has had maybe one or two, uh, you know, heterosexual 
relationships when he was sort of finding himself. Oh, okay. But uh, but but the thing is, he's ve- he's got a real childlike quality to him. I mean, in, in a good way, right? Like an innocent way, kind of. I mean, he's he's not innocent in a whole lot of other ways, but there's something about him that just to to give you an example. So one of my the first days that I had him, because I basically became like his minder. I mean, you know, I'm his sober companion at this point, and I'm having to keep an eye on him. And uh, so he's he's getting money from tabloids like the National Enquirer. They will, you know, they pay you for stories. And he's got a million of them. I mean, he didn't just date Liberace. He was uh, he was in a relationship with Michael Jackson. He um, oh, what? Yeah. Yeah, in the uh, Michael Jackson heyday too, like when Thriller was out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, what? Yeah, I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, obviously, you know, little kid diddling stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Michael Jackson swung that direction, mm-hmm. but I thought that publicly, like, wait a minute, like other people know this? Uh, well, no, I mean, it's been in the tabloids, right? right but, right. but no, it was nothing that Michael Jackson. Also, oh, Michael was Jackson out about. was homosexual. Well, according to Scott, at least for their relationship, well, bisexual, and, I guess. And he took or, he took lie detector tests, like with the tabloids, you know, to prove a lot of what he was saying. But you know, yeah, according to him, I mean, let's just I'll add that caveat, but yeah. that there was a relationship between the two. So he had that story. Uh, How, well, he seems a little old for Michael. <laughs> Uh, true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he, liked him he's a younger. handsome guy, though, back in the day. Um, <laughs> he's like, he made me dress up like a little boy. Yeah. <laughs> but he was also the key witness in the Wonderland murders. So if you've ever seen the movie Wonderland with Val Kilmer, yeah. Scott was the, that's, Scott had to go in the witness protection program because he was the witness in that trial that sent Eddie Nash, the drug dealer, uh, well, would have sent him to prison had the 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 uh, jury not uh, resulted in a mistrial. Well, I don't know when mistrial. Yeah, yeah, because Eddie Nash paid off one of the jurors, and that's since been substantiated that oh, he wow. actually got to one of the jurors and paid him off. There's so much to tell with with Scott. Now we'd be here that all was night. That when John I, Holmes was involved. That, in that one, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. that one, and and Scott saw John Holmes. He was at Eddie Nash's house. When the bodyguard Greg Dials brought John Holmes, all covered in blood, back into the house to prove that he had killed all four of those people, it happened right in front of Scott to pay off his drug debts. Yeah. Right, and that's how he knew uh, the information and why he why he testified. I mean, I, it sounds like I'm going off in a million different tangents, but this is Scott's life. This is how many different things he's he's like the Forrest Gump. Of sleaze, like he's been, he just keeps popping up in history for all these horrible (laughs) reasons, right? That's good. But anyway, these tabloids. He did not have a uh, when I picked him up. uh, uh, One of the first days I was with him, uh, he was getting these little, you know, you know, couple of grand here, a couple of grand there, checks from the National Enquirer and these other tabloids. But he didn't have a bank account, as most destitutes don't. So they were wiring him money to these like little check cashing places, right? Payday loan type things. So I took him to one of them to pick up the money that he had coming. He had a grand or two coming from National Enquirer. He goes in, comes back out to the car. He's all upset. Scott, what's wrong? He goes, well, they won't give me the money because I don't have any ID. His ID was still locked up in the Reno jail because of the credit card that he'd stolen, that was still evidence uh, for his trial that hadn't played itself right. out yet, right? So he goes, I know what I'll do. 
He picks up a copy of the National Enquirer he left on the floorboard because there was an article about him in it, right? He goes, I'll take this National Enquirer in there. I'll show them the story about me. They'll see that it's me, and then they'll give me the money. And I said, Scott, it sounded real proud of himself, you know? And I was thinking of that. And I said, well, Scott, let me just raise a couple of issues here. Uh, one, the picture of you in the story is a mugshot that you're going to use for photo ID. And two, the headline of the story says Rock. that you've been arrested for identity theft. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he just never thought of it. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, I guess that won't work. Well, and, and you probably find that true with most people that are addicts or do yes, yes. things like that. They don't ever think, like, if, if they were a fighter, they mm-hmm. would think one move at a time. Like, All right, mm-hmm. I'm going to punch you. It's like, okay, but hey, what, what's going to happen after that? Like, uh, fuck, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you don't think, like, okay, you know, he might punch you back. Oh, huh. <laughs> are you going to move afterwards, off angle, set him up? you know, change levels. Like what is our second move? And then third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Like, yep. how are we going to go through this? You know, just like most people are like, okay, I'm not going to pay the bills. I'm using for that. I'm like, all right. So when they turn the power off, what are you going to do? Well, fuck, I don't know. I'm just, but I need the money for this. I'm like, Whoa. But I mean, I think that's what enables them to be, you know, that's why I look, Maramatsu Masashi used said that, you know, part of being a great samurai, you know, a leader is that you don't really have, a bad like if you're a head carpenter right you don't have bad carpenters you just have carpenters you have to put in the right position so if you have a guy let's say like i had you right and mm-hmm. you're a master carpenter okay well i'm gonna put you at the front so you're gonna do the main archways and, and the foundation mm-hmm. the house and things are gonna be seen that are you know most valuable pieces of wood that we're putting up because i can't have people making a mistake then I, let's say i have some douchebag retard that's just a complete fuck up all right well he can cut wedges you know I, it's still important or picking up things and moving Moving around, like putting guys in the right position. So the mentality that Scott has, I think, has a place in society, and it sucks that we can't always figure it out. Because you know, it can be a benefit that you cannot think ahead and just, okay, I'm just going to concentrate the task at hand. I just single-mindedly, I, I want to drink a water. Okay, I'm going to get a drink of water. It's like okay, so putting them in the right position. But it just seems like so much in our society, those guys don't have the proper placement, and then it just becomes self-destructive because mm-hmm. they don't have the ability to regulate, you know, consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, I hit on something earlier, uh, just where I was telling the story that maybe some people picked up on when I said uh, that he had to go in the witness protection program. Well, a lot of people want to know why he's not still in the witness protection program. Because well, I think not, it's only for a limited time. Mm-mm. It's not typically something you come out of. Oh, you know, I never knew that. Yeah. I figured it's just why the heat's on you for two mm-hmm. or three years. But I mean, I mean, like in this situation where like, you know, the guy Nash is dead. Still like, alive. Oh, he's I thought he was dead. Still alive. Oh. And the thing is, is but that... But it's a hung jury. You know what I mean? Like, though this is an amazing story, though. So uh, I'm, I'm going to lay wow. it out. I guess you're right. No, this... Fuck, man. You can be in the witch for the rest of your life. Sure. And talk about, like, what if you had... Man, that's a big step to go All ahead right. and go... This is going to blow your mind. So why so, isn't he? Okay. So what happens is he goes from dating Liberace in the, the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Liberace dies. Now he's hanging out with Michael Jackson. He's got whatever involvement with him. Uh, he met Michael Jackson through Liberace. Hmm? So is Scott like a bottom or a top? With Liberace, he was a top. Well, I mean, he's very effeminate, but but then I would think I guess top probably. That's, I'm trying to place it because I mean, like both of them seem very soft. Like, yeah. So I can't figure out who the girl is. And then with Michael Jackson, I would, I'm would i like, well, who's the girl? Well, Scott's kind of the 
Scott had, especially back then, he had a real sort of golden boy look to him. But you know? within that lifestyle, he would be the girl in most relationships. No, I would think he'd be the guy. Oh, really? Okay. Well, then that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was very, he's effeminate, but especially back then too, he was muscular, cut, kind of, you know. Okay. Like okay. like how Matt Damon looks in the movie, basically. Right, right. Okay. Um, but uh, so he went from... Uh, Liberace and then Michael Jackson, but by the late '80s, you know he's he's deeply involved in drugs. He's blown through all the money that he had gotten from Liberace and all that kind of stuff, and he's definitely with a bad scene. So again, if you've if you've seen, the, in fact, here's a little homework. If you want to look up the Val Kilmer movie Wonderland, uh, in which Val Kilmer plays the legendary porn star John Holmes, you'll you'll see the backstory to what we're talking about here. So. Uh, Scott is getting his drugs from this guy in L.A., Eddie Nash. He's a drug kingpin. He owns a bunch of clubs in L.A. He's also the guy, if you remember the scene in Boogie Nights, the guy with the bathrobe, the drug dealer, and Mark Wahlberg, and the guys go in, they're going to rob him, but they can't get up the nerve to rob him, and there's that little Asian guy throwing the snap pops while Sister Christian's Night Ranger plays in the background. That's who that character is based on, is Eddie Nash. Yeah, so that's kind of a similar. They're basically having Dirk Diggler as John Holmes in that scenario. Right, that's kind of the... fictionalized version of it. So, uh, So Scott is getting his drugs from Eddie Nash, there are four small-time criminals who live up on uh, uh, a, a road called Wonderland uh, in in L.A. And uh, these guys are hanging around John Holmes. John Holmes is deep into drugs and AIDS and all that kind of stuff at that point. And uh, Holmes also knows Eddie Nash. So Holmes... Uh, basically helps orchestrate a robbery of Eddie Nash on the part of those four small-time criminals. Uh, he leaves a door at Eddie Nash's house unlocked, uh, and then the, the foursome come in, rob Eddie Nash, take all the money and drugs out of his safe, and all this kind of stuff. So that had just happened, and here comes Scott, again, the Forrest Gump of, uh, of unfortunate circumstance, comes up to Eddie Nash's door because he's going to get his drugs. He says Eddie Nash opens the door uh, wearing a robe with a gun in his hand. And he says, come on in. I've, I've been robbed. Just come in. i got to deal with this. I just got robbed. So Scott sits down. Of course, he'll wait forever because he's a drug addict and is just waiting to get his hook up. So he's sitting there. Eddie Nash has a bodyguard named Greg Dials. Greg Dials comes through the door, and he's got John Holmes with him. Eddie Nash had ordered John, uh, the bodyguard to go out and get John Holmes and bring him into the house uh, because he knew John Holmes knew who had robbed him and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, Nash tells Dials to go up to Wonderland, kill all the people in that house, and make John Holmes help with the killing so he could be involved in the killing. And off they go, and Scott's still sitting there, and all this played out right in front of Scott. Then he sees him come back in, all covered in blood. Greg Dials has a lead pipe in his hand and shows Eddie Nash that he'd he'd bludgeoned these people with a lead pipe and that the threads on the lead pipe had actually been indented on one of the guy's heads. He, like, whacked him so hard with it. And he's saying all this right in front of Scott. And I said to Scott, when I got to know him, I said, he just said all this right in front of you? And Scott goes... Well, he wasn't real smart. 
He just said all that in front of him. So now Scott is the witness to this. So what happens is Tom Lang, who was one of the O.J. Simpson detectives, Phil Van Adder and Tom Lang were the detectives on that case. Uh, Lang is the lead detective on this case. They find Scott, and they know that he was around that scene. They also know that he's got some unrelated small-time charges, and they use those. They say, look, we can put you away on these charges, or you can testify against Eddie Nash, and we'll give you witness protection. He testifies against Eddie Nash, but because Nash had paid off one of those jurors, the jury hangs, and Eddie Nash walks. So at this point, Scott goes off into witness protection. Eddie Nash wants to kill Scott. Got it? Okay. So Scott becomes Jess Marlowe. That's his new name in the witness protection program. So they ask him where he wants to move. He tells him Florida. Goes down to Florida. And one of the uh, one of the programs that they had to assist people in Scott's or Jess's position is it was sort of like a little kind of a halfway house type thing, but it was faith based. There was some guy running a ministry down there in Florida, and uh, he they take Scott now Jess Marlowe in and uh, kind of you know help provide for him. Well, this evangelist you'll like this part who's running this church down in Florida okay. finds out, well, probably, but he he finds out who Scott really, who Jess really is, that he's Scott Thorson, ex-boyfriend of Liberace. He sees dollar signs. He oh. convinces Scott that what he should do is start touring the country, appearing at churches as the ex-boyfriend of Liberace, talking about how he's no longer gay. They've, you know, prayed the gay away, essentially. And they'll make a lot of money doing this. One thing you got to know about Scott is he loves the spotlight. Right. And at this point, it's the only spotlight he could get. But he loved the attention because he's going around to churches. And no bells went off going that this guy, Nass, is probably going to figure out who I am if I'm touring the country as the ex-boyfriend of Liberace? Not until it was too late. Really, he, so, he really didn't think that would happen. I just don't think he thought about it at all. See what I mean? He can't think ahead. So he's going around. He's in, in to hear him tell the story. They're selling out everywhere. You know, every church you advertise, you got the. And keep it. This is the eighties. You know, I mean, cure for homosexuality. Yes, you know, uh, Liberace's former boyfriend talks about how he was cured of gay. Right. So he was enjoying getting up and putting on a show. I said, Scott, what? Why did you stop? And this will actually, this is how Scott, the genuine side of him. He said, well, he said, I'll tell you what happened was one night after I got up and I did my whole speech or whatever, this young teenager male came up to me after the show because he's, you know, signs books or whatever. And this kid said, uh, thank you for that. I was scared. I thought something was wrong with me. Now I know, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm straight. And he's like, he was gay. He's like, I could tell I'm talking to him and he's gay. And he's like, I realized like, what am I doing? Like, that's yeah. a horrible, I think up to that point, he was just thinking, you know, it was like a car, like a, a medicine yeah. show. I'm just putting on a show. But then I think he saw the real effects of it. And so because he's not a malicious human being, yeah. he realized that that's why I hate when people tell me about gay or whatever it is, but yeah. it's mental yeah, you're wired that way. Right. I don't know if you right. were born that way or at a young age it became converted. I have no idea. I don't think science fully understands it either. But their brains, once you're gay, you're not going to be ungay. Yeah, <laughs> you, just, you are what you are. You are what and you he are. realized that he was, 
he was playing a, a he was doing a very bad thing in terms of further yeah, confusing that this poor kid. kid yeah just yeah because oh, you can fix it there is something wrong right. with you and it's fixable and then the poor kid thinks well if i can't fix it i keep praying and i still like you know what yep. i like yep. then obviously i'm not praying hard enough or yeah geez, exactly it's a fucking nightmare so scott says okay no more of this so he is going to head back to hollywood from florida to reclaim his stardom to get involved in whatever acting roles again. Only one problem. <laughs> Only one problem. Yeah. <laughs> the drug kingpin of LA now wants you dead. So And never once he feared for his life enough to okay, I'm in witness protection program. Mm-hmm. He obviously went into it realizing there was a purpose for it. Mm-hmm. He didn't just tell him like, nah man, I'm gonna be fine. And then he's still going to try to pursue his fame. Did he think he was going to show up and they didn't realize that he was the same guy? I'll tell you who's, well, and I'll tell you. I mean, how did yeah. he think that was going to work? I mean, Again, did you ask I, him? Like- I, yes, I did. And I just don't think he was thinking about that at that point. He's so intoxicated with the fame that I think that's all he was thinking about was returning to that life. Now, who he was hearing it from were the people at the Witness Protection Program, like at the FBI and all that kind of stuff. They're like, what the hell are you doing? Because they have agents assigned to him. So it's like not only was he putting himself in danger, he was putting their agents in danger because those people have to periodically check in on him. So he, against their better judgment, of course, said that he was going to voluntarily remove himself from the program and head to L.A., Now, he lasted outside the program for just a matter of days. And here's what happened. He's going to travel from Florida back to L.A. Where the guy that wants to kill him is. That's right. That's right. He's in, I believe it was uh, Tampa, and he's staying in a motel, okay? Uh, Howard Johnson's. There is a uh, knock at the hotel room door. This is just days after he's left the witness protection program. Uh, There's a knock at the hotel room door at the Howard Johnson's uh, motel, and he opens the door, and there stands Gregory Diles, the big bodyguard with the lead pipe. You remember him from a minute ago? He has a gun, and he shoots Scott five times and leaves him for dead in the motel room. Scott's laying on the floor, bleeding out, getting cold. He reaches for the phone, gets the front desk, says, you know, I've been shot. I need help. They think it's a prank and hang up on him. So, side note, after he survived, he sued Howard Johnson's and got like a hundred grand because they hung up on him the first time. Calls the second time to the front desk. This time, maintenance man comes in, finds him. They rush him to the trauma unit, and apparently, of all places to get shot, he picked a good one because they had a lot of shootings in the area. So, they had some sort of cutting edge trauma unit there. So, because they guess get a lot of practice, and it goes right? back to that the bodyguard was a retard. Because yes, if you walk in to kill somebody and you blast them four or five times, why not take a headshot? Right. I mean, put one down the nose, man. Right. You know, out the back of the head. I see you don't have a face anymore. The mm-hmm. back of your head opens up. Mm-hmm. You're dead. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the whole just shoot him in the body a couple times thing. I mean, it works yeah. a lot of the times, but yeah. I mean, if you're there to kill somebody, I mean. Eddie, Eddie what Nash, you saving bullets. You know? Yeah, Eddie Nash would uh, have done a lot better having you as his uh, hitman. Even you at the time, when you're like six years old, you yeah. probably could have done a better I'd have job. I figured it out. I'm like, yeah. right, two to the body, one to yeah. the head. Let's you call were it a certainly day. smarter. So uh, he is in a coma for a month. Basically, loses a month of his life in this coma. Comes out of the coma, beats all the odds, survives undeterred. 
he still wants to go to L.A. to reclaim his stardom. But he does realize that maybe now he's thinking what you were hoping he would think about before. Now he's thinking about it. And he's thinking. They might not like me. That's right. <laughs> so he realizes he's going to need a little help. So here's the twist. He remembers that some years back when he was with Liberace, that Liberace would play uh, theaters on the East Coast that were mob-owned. A lot of the, the old uh, theaters back then were, and particularly in Boston. There was a, a mob-owned theater. It was owned by the Angelo Brothers. And if you do any mob research or you go to the Mob Museum or you, you, know, you just look them up, these two brothers uh, were big-time mobsters in the Boston area, the Angelo Brothers. And one of them was named Jerry. And so uh, years back when Liberace had played in Boston, Liberace played at Jerry Angelo's theater. And Jerry Angelo had a young autistic daughter, apparently severely autistic, you know, didn't didn't really talk, never really smiled, all that. And uh, one night at the theater, Scott had asked Jerry Angelo if he could take his young daughter's hand and take her up to the stage to Liberace's piano and have Liberace play the piano for her. So he says, okay, Scott walks a little girl up there. She sits on the piano bench. Liberace plays a song for her. And she smiles. And Jerry Angelo, this hardened mobster who's killed no telling how many people, uh, starts sobbing, weeping, you know. I mean, and he says, he's a father. Yeah, he had never seen his daughter smile before. And he just, you know, it was the happiest moment of his life and all this. And he tells Scott, I owe, I, now I'm indebted to you. I Any, owe you one, yeah, buddy. anything you need, I, I, I owe, owe you. One. Yeah. So all these years pass. A bad guy to owe one to, though. Right. <laughs> all these years pass. Scott wakes up out of his coma, and he remembers that. So he calls up to Boston. And, you know, it was just like The Sopranos, where it's like, uh, you know, the, the he's officing above a pizza parlor or something like that. That's where they're running the mob business out of. So Scott calls him up there and asks if he could come up there for a meeting. Now, keep in mind, mob guys aren't generally excited about talking to people who are in the witness protection program. <laughs> but the guy agrees to it. So Scott flies up there. And he goes in, and Scott says, you know, I don't know if you remember me. And Jerry Angelo says, I I do. I remember. I know. I, I, I owe you. You know, what, what can I do for you? And Scott says, well, um, there's, you know, this guy, Eddie Nash, that wants to kill me. And he already tried once. And I want to go back there. And here's what's going on. And so Jerry Angelo looks to his guy to his left, who I believe to be Whitey Bulger. I remember Whitey. Yeah. And, uh, Why is he still in prison? Did he die? Uh, he's dead now, I believe. He did die? Okay. Yeah. Is he dead now? He's either dead or he's in prison. I know he's in prison. He got caught getting his wife was getting her nails done or some shit. Yeah, yeah. There was something was like fault. that. But at the time, here, I'll look it up right here. Okay. At the time, he is the uh, the right-hand man of uh, Jerry Angelo. <laughs> Whitey Bulger is... Uh... Yeah, he's, he's, the, he's the heavy. So uh, he is uh, still alive, by the way. Born in 1929. Oh, my gosh. He's getting up there. He is 88 years old. Is that right? Um, That's crazy. A guy lives a crazy life like that. <laughs> He's yeah, in no a die old age. Yeah. So uh, he is sitting to Angelo's right. And Angelo, you know, here's just everything he needs to hear from Scott about the situation. And he looks to, to Whitey and he says, uh, you know what to do. And with that, Whitey gets up from the table and they take Scott with him and one other henchman. And uh, 
they go from from uh, the pizza place to Logan Airport, get on a plane, fly straight to L.A. They get in a car in L.A., and they drive straight to Eddie Nash's house. They get to Eddie Nash's house, and Whitey tells Scott, you wait in the car with henchman number two, and then henchman number one and Whitey go up to the house. They come out 10, 15 minutes later, and they get in the car, and they start driving back to the airport. And Scott, of course, Scott being Scott, he has to ask questions. I mean, he can't just leave well enough alone. He's got to know what happened. So he asks him, oh, what happened? You know, they get to a stoplight, and Whitey turns around and looks at Scott and says, I told him that if anything, you were coming back to L.A., and if anything happened to you, I'd kill him and every member of his family. And he turns back around and just keeps driving to the airport. So all these years, Scott goes back to L.A. and never had a finger laid on him because of that. So all those years passed by and nothing ever happened. I asked Scott how he knew instinctively to call in that favor, you know, and how that was just like the first thing he thought of. And he goes, well, he goes, I knew these guys were serious. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, this is a great part about Scott. His stories, there's so many of them that a lot of times he just forgets stuff. And you'll be talking to him, and it'll prompt a memory. And he'll go, oh, well, because there was, you know, one time after Liberace's show uh, in the theater, we went out to eat because Angelo liked Liberace and liked to, you know, show him a good time and everything. And they're sitting in this Italian restaurant, and uh, there's a guy like two tables over that call that that is talking to whoever's at his table, but loud enough that everybody can overhear. He refers to Liberace as a fag. And uh, Scott said it was very uncomfortable because Liberace's sitting there. I mean, it was loud. The guy was obnoxious, and everybody heard him. And he said before anyone could process really what happened, Whitey wheels around, grabs the guy by the back of the neck, and pulls a gun out from under his coat and shoves it in the guy's mouth and starts yelling, apologize to Mr. Liberace, apologize to Mr. Liberace. And he said the guy starts pissing all over himself. And like, you know, says whatever, apologizes, and then skedaddles out the door into the night. So he's like, it made an impression. The way he tells the story is great, too, because apparently Liberace was wearing all white fur and started screaming that he was he was afraid there was going to be a gun blast and there'd be brains all over his white fur. So he was trying to calm the situation down. It's okay. It's okay. So, uh, so that's Scott. And there's there's more stories like that. We'll, cool. we'll get him in here. He'll tell some. You can go watch the movie and uh, and uh, see what I'm talking about. So uh, so anyway, so I got to be a uh, I got to be a court witness uh, this weekend. All right. Uh, How did it go? Well, we won't know for a week or two because the judge has to issue a written ruling. But you know, Scott has been rescued his whole life. I mean, by, he was grew up in foster care so rescued by Liberace I mean Dennis Hoff rescued him you know and he's just sort of lives this in a weird way a charmed existence because he goes through life and these people come along and kind of help him you know and sure enough because they were paying all our expenses like travel and 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 all that uh, I was going to get reimbursed for the travel and uh, I walked out of the courtroom and there on the bench in the hallway sat this diminutive middle-aged, clearly gay Hollywood fellow um, wearing, this is what he wore to court, leather pants, a 
leopard-spotted fur, furry vest that went down to his knees, a ton of jewelry, and some just big old goggle glasses. And uh, I asked Scott's attorney, I said, who's this? And he said, well, that's, you know, Michael Starr, or whatever the guy's name was. You know, he is helping Scott with his expenses for his trial, and uh, he's going to take care of your, your reimbursement. And the guy motions me over. He says, step into my office. And we go down the hallway in the courtroom. And he pulls out an envelope and he handed me eight $100 bills. He's like, thanks for being here. And I rode the elevator down with Scott's pro, uh, probation officer that had testified for Scott. And I said, little weird. little weird that the gay dude just handed us cash when we got done. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it was weird. He goes, but then if you know Scott... It was oddly fitting. <laughs> All right, Frank, tell everybody about that Amazon banner on the phone booth fighting website because we need people to pay particular attention to it now because it's a holiday season. It's time to start doing Christmas shopping. True. If you do any of your Christmas shopping online and you're going to use Amazon, which most people do, use it through our website. You click on there, go through the portal there. Any shopping you do for your Christmas gifts, any other needs or wants that you have, a small percentage at no extra charge to you comes back to us here at the show. That's what you do. It's right there on the front of phoneboothfighting.com. You can also uh, click on the store and uh, get you one of our brand new phone booth fighting t-shirts. We got multiple styles, multiple designs, all sizes and colors shipping now. Those will make excellent Christmas gifts for the phone booth fighting listener in your life as well. All of that you will find at phoneboothfighting.com. Remember to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever podcasts are available. And if you go to our iTunes page, search phone booth fighting, click on those five stars. That is is tremendously helpful for us to give us a rating and uh, if you have a moment write a favorable line or two we like to read those reviews on the air one more item of business frank tell everybody how they can find the show on social media well on facebook and instagram you can check us out at phone booth fighting and snapchat or, or snapchat or twitter you can find us at phone booth fight that's it for frank Mir, i'm richard hunter thanks for being a part of this one we'll see you next time on phone booth fighting everybody was kung fu